and we continue our series on Route 66, and as we've been going through, of course, these books of the Bible, and as we've gotten started, we started in the New Testament, and we, we literally started with the gospel records, and so if you notice there, the books on the shelf, you see that we had, of course, all the 66 books there. We started with the New Testament, and so we've already gone through all four gospel records. We, last week, we were in the book of Acts. Tonight, we're in the book of Romans, and uh, this is really, if you notice those books on the shelf there, uh, the next grouping of books are all colored blue because they're oftentimes referred to as the church epistles. Um, what you find when you look at these books is you really find what many times are referred to as the nuts and bolts, um, the, 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 um, the polity or the administration of the church. Uh, so, for instance, a lot of times people ask, Pastor, why do, you, why do you do certain things this way? And why does the church do this? And why doesn't the church do that? We find much of what we do as a church in the New Testament in these particular books, and we find though, those are oftentimes referred to as the church epistles. Now, the word epistle is just another word for letter. So these are all letters that were written, and we call them books, books of our Bible. And so tonight, we get started with that grouping of books in our Bible, beginning with the book of Romans. And so I want you to uh, take your notes there. Hopefully, if you're joining us, you've received uh, and printed off, and, and you can uh, take notes tonight. Now, I have a little bit less notes than I did last week, and I heard that there were people here taking bets whether or not I was going to finish on time or if I was going to go to midnight or whatever. So you never really know when pastor gets started when he's going to finish, but uh, I'll do the best I can, all right? And so the book of Romans is so rich and so full. So if you look at the heading there tonight, really, I just call this book of Romans the epistle of faith. It's a tremendous book, a discourse on the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. The very name of the book, the, the, the name Romans, uh, unlike Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this particular epistle gets its name from those uh, that were at Rome, the Romans, and that's who Paul was writing to. And you see that there in chapter 1 and verse 7. Notice, to all that be in Rome, and here's the phraseology, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing, now remember, these aren't Paul's words, all scriptures given by inspiration of God. So these people were dear to Paul, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but understand here that Paul is writing to those in Rome. Now the church at Rome really was a very strong church, and we have to understand that. Now, you know, the longer that I've, I live as a Christian, and we've got We've actually got a church planner here with us tonight. He and his wife have been coming, and they're getting ready to plant a church uh, not too far from here. And, and he's going to find this out. And of course, he's been part of some good churches. But there are churches that are strong churches, and then there are churches that are weak churches. Now, the reason that a church is weak is because they're weak in the faith, and they haven't been instructed. They haven't been growing. And listen, what God wants us to do, remember how the Bible describes that when we get saved, that we were like babes or babies that, that, that we should desire the sincere milk of the word. And so like my daughter that's due in October with her third child, 
listen, she's not going to start that baby on solid food. She'll start it on milk. But the Bible tells us that after we've been uh, drinking the milk of the Word of God, that we should then uh, want the more meatier uh, parts. And when you talk about meat, you're talking really about much of the book of Romans because the book of Romans is, it contains a lot of doctrine. Those are meatier things. A lot of people that are, listen to me, I don't mean this in a bad way, but if they're weak in the faith, if they're weak in their Bible knowledge, they struggle sometimes when it comes to a book like the book of Romans. We'll talk about that a little bit here in just a moment. But when you talk about the church at Rome being a strong church, if you look there in your, in your Bible or in your notes, Romans 1.8, look at this verse describing this church. He says, Paul writes, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of, and look at these words, throughout the whole world. Now remember, the world in Paul's day was much smaller. Now look, the, 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 what you call earth, it was, it was all there but it was uncharted. They hadn't discovered like the Americas and others. So really, it was around the Mediterranean area that was the known world of that day. And Paul says, listen, your faith, the strength of this church, man, people are talking. Listen, this was a long time before the internet. This was a long time before text messaging and all these conveniences and television and everything that we have today and the Bible, everybody was talking about this church. The book of Romans is oftentimes, when you view it, it's oftentimes considered the gospel, but notice here, according to the Apostle Paul. So now again, that's just, that, that's not how God particular, but a lot of people say, when you look at those first four books in the New Testament, the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, this would be the gospel according to Paul, Paul being the one that God used to write these words. Now, the letter or the epistle known as Romans was actually delivered to the saints in Rome by a Christian lady by the name of Phoebe. And she's mentioned there in the last chapter of Romans, the very first verse, where Paul writes, I commend unto you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centuria. So, you know, again, you think about how Phoebe was entrusted with this particular letter and that she carried it to those Christians, the beloved of God, called to be saints. She delivered this epistle, this letter to them. Now, when you think about Rome itself in Paul's day, now we're talking about, uh, again, just trying to wrap our minds around what the city was like when Paul was alive, during the time that Paul was, was on this earth, during Paul's day, Rome, the city, which by the way, Rome actually means strength, but Rome was recognized, it was the recognized mistress and metropolis of the world. So listen, it was a hub. It was, there was so much activity going in and out of Rome. It was, it was the place where everybody wanted to be. They claimed that there was nearly three million people that were in Rome during Paul's day. They said it was unparalleled in its wealth and its luxury. And I, listen, I could take the time tonight, maybe you can do it on your own, but it's amazing. So, now we look at it, if you can go and look at some of the ruins and maybe things that have been found, and you look at it and you see maybe some of their bathrooms and you're looking at it like, that doesn't look very luxurious to me. 
But you have to understand, compared to what other people didn't have, it, back in the day, that was luxurious. And, and there, was, there was so much wealth there in Rome. Now, when you look at what I call the occasion for writing, I think it's important for us to understand there was a reason that this book was written, this letter was written. Now, notice the occasion here. Paul actually, he wasn't in Rome, but he received word that the Jewish believers, notice there, people that were Jews by birth, but they had trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, that Jewish believers were not willing to let Gentile believers claim equal privileges with them. Now, listen, we, we still, here we are, 2020, we still live in a world and we still live in a country where prejudice is still alive. Well, it was the same thing back then that, listen, there was a real issue when it came to the Jews and the Gentiles. It was so ingrained in them, in their, in their family heritage, in their upbringing. And, and listen, it, they, they had an issue even with Paul when Paul trusted Christ on the road to Damascus, they really didn't believe. Even the believers struggled with, listen, this, this Saul, he didn't really get saved. He just said he got saved. I, I mean, I remember years ago when my wife and I, we were dating, and well, maybe I should say we liked each other. And, uh, and, and I remember that when I, when I finally got saved and trusted Christ as my Savior, uh, it, it dawned on me that, hey, listen, I'm saved so we can get married. Nobody, nobody said you have to be saved to be married. Now, I know the Bible says that we should not be unequally yoked together. But, but listen, I guess I was smart enough to realize that now we were yoked equally. And, of course, she was, had been a Christian for many, many years. But I remember I went to her father and I said to her dad, I said, listen, I'd like to ask for your daughter's hand in marriage, which, by the way, is still the honorable thing to do even in 2020. And so I went to him and I, and I asked. And you know what he said to me? He says, I'll let you know. I said, what do you mean you'll let me know? He goes, he goes I'll let you know. And I said, when? And he goes, in three days. And I looked at her and I'm like, it's going to take him three days to say yes or no? And so sure enough, he made me sweat bullets for three days. And after three days, and I mean, I did everything I could to try to be in the way, like the Old Testament servant, you know, thinking he'll tell me, you know, after one day or two. No, 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 he made me wait. And by the way, he's still like that. He's got this ornery side to him, you know. And, and so after three days, I did the manly thing. I, I, I went to my wife and I said, okay, I asked him. He hasn't answered, so you're asking him. And so she went to him. Here's what he said. I didn't understand it at the time. He said, you can marry my daughter on one condition. I said, okay, name it. He said, you can marry my daughter, he says, if you wait a year. And I'm like, well, no problem. We already set the date. It was like 14 months and however many days from it. And he goes, okay. He goes, if you wait until that day, he goes, you can marry my daughter. Now, I didn't understand that, but he was doing the same thing. He wanted to watch and wait and see if I really got saved or if I just said that I got saved. By the way, I, to this day, I still think that was a very smart move on his part. And so when, when you think about this matter here of these Jewish believers, they struggled with the fact 
that these Gentile dogs, as the Bible calls them, that they could trust Christ as their Savior too. So when you see this here, that's why Paul was writing. And of course, God, by his Holy Spirit, was giving Paul these words. So the epistle actually brings both the Jews and the Gentiles, notice, under sin. In other words, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, again, when you think about this being the epistle of faith, uh, this is the one book that, listen, if, if any of you like us, we have, we have tried our best. Now, we, of course, haven't been able to during this COVID thing, but the Bible tells us, we just looked at last week in the book of Acts, that we are to be witnesses unto, unto the Lord in Jerusalem, Judea, all Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. So here's the thing is, we are supposed to be witnessing to people for the Lord. So when, when you look at this situation here, one of the places where many people will go is to the book of Romans. We oftentimes call that the Romans Road. Anybody ever heard that? The Romans Road. Now, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, uh, Brother Lewis, I don't know if you've heard this, but you know, some people act like a person can't get saved unless you share only scriptures from the book of Romans. Now, I will tell you, there's a lot of great verses that you can use when you're soul winning, when you're witnessing to people out of the book of Romans. You see them here. Of course, these are all verses that we're very familiar with. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Uh, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, listen, on and on and on. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Say, man, pastor, you know those verses well. I've been working at it for about 40 years, you know. But here's the thing is, we need to make sure that we hide God's word. When that comes to this matter of witnessing and sharing the gospel with people, and that's, listen, the book of Romans is rich with verses to try to help people to understand. Now, it's kind of interesting. We'll talk about this in just a minute, but notice quite a few of those verses are in Romans chapter number 10. Now, I'm not going to say much more about that right now, but I want you to remember that when we get there because I think it's always important that we keep the Bible in context. It's interesting where those verses are, all right? I'll come back to that in just a minute, but I want you to have that in your mind. Now, when we get back to the occasion of writing, notice here that earlier, because of the problem between the Jewish believers and Gentile believers, Paul, as he writes here, really his heart was that he hoped to reconcile or bring together those Jewish converts uh, to the truth that, hey, listen, Gentiles really can be saved. And listen, they too, just like you, are accepted by God and that when they get saved, it was not done by keeping the law of Moses. Because listen, we all know that it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, right? It's, listen, salvation is not a system of works. Uh, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. So listen, Paul was trying to, he was trying to, to help these Jewish believers. He was trying to educate them. By the way, you and I need to educate ourselves too. Listen, as a church, we fail if we only target a certain group of people. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Did you hear that? Listen, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So God wants everyone to be saved. It would be wrong for us 
just to target one group of people. Now listen, I know some ministries, they might be Spanish-speaking ministries or, you know, like ours, English ministry or whatever. And it's okay, you know, to, but listen, everyone needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because all have sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one, the book of Romans says. So that's the occasion of the writing of the book of Romans. Now notice the contents of this particular book. This epistle actually reveals and it expounds God's way of justification. Now let me talk a little bit here about justification. Does anybody know what another word that we use that's synonymous with justification? Anybody? How about salvation, right? Salvation and justification are synonymous words. See, the, the, the truth is, is that justification is a word that literally means just as if I had never even been a sinner. I have been justified. Now, notice what Job said in Job 9.2. The Bible says there, I know it is so of a truth. Notice this. But how should a man be just with God? In other words, how can a person be justified? How can a person be saved? Because understand, when you study it in your Bible, and I challenge you to look, you will never find salvation is a work of man. You'll never find it. Bible salvation is of God. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with him. Here's a great verse, and I want you to look at this. It's not in the book of, uh, you know, it's not in the book of Job's, but it's actually in the book of Romans that we're studying tonight. Because listen, as somebody said, no one can be just who is not adjusted by his maker. All right? Did you hear that? No one can be just who is not justified or adjusted by his maker. Look at Romans there, and you know it's Romans 3.25. Whom God has set forth, talking about Jesus, to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare, notice, his righteousness. What does the Bible say about our righteousness? Our righteousness is as filthy rags. So here we're talking about the righteousness of God's own son. So it says here, for, the, for his righteousness, for the remission, the forgiveness of sins, watch this, that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, watch this, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just. In other words, God is righteous, God is holy. And look at this. And not only that he's just, but he is the justifier of him which believeth on Jesus. Now, did you see that? Not only is God just, he's righteous, but he is the one that is the justifier of us that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, look, we are declared innocent. We are justified by God. That means that when we get saved, when God looks down at us, God sees us righteous. How is that possible? Because the blood of Jesus Christ has been imputed. It has been applied to our account We've been reconciled to God by Jesus, not by anything we've done. Now listen, do you understand everything I'm talking to you about tonight? I can't explain it with a better word than doctrine. This is all meaty stuff. Some people right now are going, man, pastor, I wish I understood 
what you're talking about, but it sounds like it's all Greek. This is what I'm talking about. We need to not be weak in the faith, all right? We need to make sure that we're understanding what the Bible has to say. Now, when you look at this book, it's really divided into three sections. Now, notice here, the first section, and I've mentioned this, is, is, it is doctrinal, okay? The, 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 the chapters, chapter 1 through chapter 8, all deal with the doctrines of the Word of God. When you study the Word of God, listen to me, all the major doctrines of the Word of God are contained in these first eight chapters of the book of Romans. Now, when you move beyond the first eight chapters, notice then, notice this word. It might be new to some people. You get into a section called the dispensational section of the book of Romans. That's chapters 9, 10, and 11. And then when you get to the last section, chapters 12 to 18 and 16, that is what we call the discipleship portion of the book of Romans. Now, leave that slide there for a second. But in your, in your uh, outline tonight, and I apologize, I don't think this got sent to you at home, but you can listen along. But this handout that I gave you that says the structure of Romans, take a, take a look at that. And I want you to see this because notice it, the three sections here. You have the doctrinal section, the dispensational section, and the discipleship section. That as we look at this, when you look at these chapters, notice doctrinally speaking how all of the first eight chapters all deal with the gospel. Remember, this is the gospel according to Paul. So it deals with the heathen. It deals with the hypocrite. It deals with the Jew, the Hebrew. Uh, chapter 4 deals with justification. Great chapter there. Chapter 5 deals, look at this, if you, if you struggle with eternal security, great chapter, chapter 5. Chapter 6 deals with sanctification. Look at me for a second. When we get saved, we get justified. That means we are saved from sin for all of eternity. But we still struggle. That's what Paul writes about in Romans chapter 7. That's where sanctification comes in. It's a constant, it's a process. We are being saved on a daily basis. That doesn't mean we can lose our salvation, but every day we struggle. Why? Because of the flesh. So when you look at this chapter here, you realize sanctification it helps us to understand that we we are saved and this helps us as we grow chapter 7 deals with oftentimes the defeat that Paul writes about chapter 8 deals with the victory I love chapter 8 verse 1 there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus look if we've been saved we are not we will never be condemned by God why because we have been saved God's given to us eternal life all right, look at, now look at chapters 9, 10, and 11, the dispensational section there. Now, I love this because you have to look back at the Old Testament to understand this. When you look at chapters 9, 10, and 11, they all deal with God's dealings with the nation of Israel. If you do not understand that, you're going to struggle with chapters 9, 10, and 11. Remember earlier I said some of the salvation verses that we share are from chapter number 10. So when you look at chapter 9, it's how God dealt with Israel in the past. When you look at chapter 10, it's how God dealt with Israel in the present. When you look at chapter 11, listen, it's how God will deal with Israel in the future. Now what's interesting is, is that when you look at the book of Romans and you look at those first eight chapters, they deal with the, the, the doctrinal aspect of the Christian life. Then you get to the chapters 9, 10, and 11. You know what they really are? They're kind of a, a parenthesis because right now we're in the church age. So God's not, 
listen, he wants right now Jews and Gentiles to be saved. But as far as his dealings with the nation of Israel, that will kick off when the Lord comes back and the rapture happens. So, you know, it's interesting when you look at this because we call those last chapters discipleship because that really helps us to understand how we are relationally with one another, all right? So I hope you understand that. Notice the, the last chapters here on this page. This is structure of Romans. It deals with our Christian surrender, our submission. You know, again, this talks about government, submitting to the higher powers, the standards that God has. Listen, there really are biblical standards that God gives us in his word. And then notice we see here chapter 15 deals with service, serving the Lord. And I love chapter 16 where he kind of signs off and notice he talks about all the many people that were a blessing to him, the souls that have meant so much to him in his ministry. So hopefully that'll help you a little bit and you can take some time to look at that. But those are the three sections of the book of Romans. Now, this letter, this epistle, notice in your, in your outline, it really helps us. This goes back to that. It helps us as Christians to be able to express what we believe about the church. That's chapters 1 to 8. What we believe about Israel, that's chapters 9, 10, and 11. And it helps us in the last portion to understand about the relationship that we have with other Christians. So listen, if you're struggling in your relationship with other believers, then study those chapters, chapters 12 through 16. If you're struggling with some doctrinal issues, go to those first eight chapters. If you're struggling with, you know, how, how has God dealt with Israel? How is he going to deal with Israel? Go to chapters 9, 10, 11. This is how the book is put together, and we need to understand it. So it says here that we need to know what we believe and be able to express the church, Israel, and our relationships. The character of the book of Romans is in two ways. It's doctrinal, and I love that, but it's also practical. That's where you get the beginning of the book and the end of the book because, listen, let me just put it this way. What good is it for us to know what we believe if we can't practically live that out in our lives? Do you get that? In other words, if it's all up here, but we can't go out and share that and show that to others, what good is it doing people? See, some people have all, all this head knowledge, but they can't live it out every day. You know what this world needs to see? Christians who know what they believe and who live it out. And that's, what, that's why I love the, yes, the doctrinal side of the book of Romans, but I love the practicality of the book of Romans too. So I hope you understand those aspects of it. Now notice it says here, uh, it, and I, I don't think I gave this to you, so you might just have to listen to some of this, but Romans is considered to be the most doctrinal book of the Bible, and that is true. There is so much doctrine, and it's really mostly contained in the first eight chapters. Listen to this. You might recognize some of these names, but these are true accounts. Augustine was converted to Christ by reading the book of Romans. Martin Luther, you know the name who started the Protestant Reformation? When he was reading the book of Romans, he realized that salvation was by faith in Christ and not by works. Sola uh, is, is what he said. It was just by faith alone and not by works. And that, that was Martin Luther, which set off the Protestant Reformation. By the way, we were 
we were never Protestants. We never came out of the Catholic Church. But I praise the Lord for, for many that made a move in the right direction. How about John Wesley? John Wesley, when he was reading the book of Romans, he received assurance of his salvation from reading the book of Romans. Uh, John Calvin actually said that when anyone understands the book of Romans, they have a passage open to them to the understanding of the whole scriptures. Do you get what, listen, when I look at what Calvin said, he literally is saying, if you can understand the book of Romans, you can understand the whole Bible. That's really what Calvin was saying. This is a rich book in the Bible, and it's one that we need to make sure that we read and study and understand it. Now look at the subject to the book of Romans. It is the gospel as revealing the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. Now again, remember, his righteousness is different than our righteousness, all right? God is a righteous God, a holy God. Now, there are four purposes, and this is very, very important, and I want you to see these in your notes or on the screen there. Paul is writing. God lets him write to the church in Rome, the Roman Christians. Notice, first of all, he wrote to prepare the believers that were in Rome for his planned visit to them. Now, you know, isn't it always nice to know that somebody's coming, company's coming, mom and dad are coming home, all right? So Paul wanted to go. And by the way, I really believe that many people were kind of terrified of Paul because the man knew the word of God, but yet he wanted to prepare their hearts. Notice the second purpose was to instruct those that were there in the Christian faith. He was trying to help establish them that he might gain spiritual fruit among them. And, and, and again, listen, that's what it's all about, that we would help people to grow in Christ. Third reason, and this is very important, if you've studied your Bible in the New Testament, there, the longer Paul lived for Christ, the bolder he became, the more people slandered him. The more people, just like Jesus, began to accuse him. Uh, oftentimes we talk about apologetics, having a defense for our faith. By the way, you ought to, uh, ought to understand that all of us need to be able to defend our faith in the world we live in. Paul was constantly defending his faith in Christ. And so this book was written to answer some of the slander against him. And then notice the fourth reason, again, here it is, to exhort or to encourage Jewish and Gentile believers that, hey, listen, you have something in common now, that you need to live in harmony because you are now one in Christ. It's so very important that they understood that. And there's the reasons and the purpose behind the book that we call the book of Romans. I've given you a real simple outline here, and you could take it, use it, but it all has to do with righteousness, the righteousness of God. And notice the righteousness registered, required, received, realized, rejected, reproduced, and represented. And all of that just goes chapter, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Maybe take some time, look at that outline as you go through the book. The writer of this book we've already mentioned was Paul. Notice Romans 1.1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. So from the very first verse that we see that Paul identifies as the writer of this, Paul, of course, when you know his life, as you study the word of God, he was an Israelite. He came from the tribe of Benjamin. Both of Paul's parents were Jews. They were both Hebrews. Paul was a native of Tarsus. We know this as we study the scriptures. It was a city in Cilicia. And it's interesting when you study it because Paul, by birth, was a free citizen of the, the imperial 
Rome of the day. Now, uh, the Bible mentions, and you see it there in your notes, Acts 22. Look at these verses. Then the chief captain came. Notice he says to Paul, tell me, art thou a Roman? Now, remember, he's a Jew. And the Bible says that he says to this chief captain, yea, or yes, he says, I'm a Roman. And the chief captain answered, with a great sum obtained I this freedom. In other words, if you get the verbiage here, the chief captain is saying, I'm a Roman, but he says, it costs me dearly. You, you know, if you had enough money, you could buy your citizenship. But notice what Paul's response to this chief captain is. Paul said, but I was freeborn. And when you look at that statement there, although Paul was a Jew, his birth in the city, where was he born? He was from Tarsus in Cilicia. So by his birth in that city, it actually granted Paul's citizenship because Tarsus was designated as a free city by Rome. Rome had, has designated Tarsus. And Paul, listen, I guess I'll put it this way. He was in the right place at the right time, all right? So Paul, listen, by birth, he says, I was freeborn. I am a Roman citizen. And, and, and what I love about that, listen to this. When you study, here's what happened. Because Paul was freeborn, because he was a citizen of Rome, when Paul traveled, Paul's status as a Roman citizen by birth actually benefited him greatly as he traveled on his missionary journeys. That opened doors. Now listen, I don't know how you are, but I can totally see the hand of God there. How God allowed him to be in Tarsus, that he was freeborn, so that when later on when he got saved and he started traveling, Paul had doors open to him that other people would have never been able to have those doors. And that's what's cool about it. If you think about when you study the book of Acts, how Paul was heading to Rome, listen, Paul had audiences everywhere he went. And the reason he did was because he was a Roman and he was given access. Listen, even when he was under house arrest, Paul was still able to declare the gospel as he was under arrest there. And I just love that. Listen, look what it says, Acts 9, 15. The Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, God says, to bear my name among, look at this, the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Boy, not many people had that kind of privilege. Not many people had that many doors open unto them. And so before Paul's call to apostleship, Paul was known by his Hebrew name, which we oftentimes know as Saul. That was his Hebrew name. But he used Paul, his Roman name, among the Gentiles. So again, uh, even the very name Paul, you know what it means? It means little. Remember what Peter's name means? Peter's name means pebble. <laughs> Peter was a little stone. Isn't it interesting, two of the pillars in the Bible, Peter and Paul, means little and stone, a little pebble? I think God has a sense of humor, you know? Oftentimes we think that we're, we're big, we're something, and yet God, even by the very names, reminds us that, that, listen, we are but dust is what we are. And so we see here that oftentimes the name Saul was his Hebrew name, Paul was his Roman name among the Gentiles. Paul's parents, and listen, boy, again, you think about this, his parents actually allowed him to, at an early age to go to Jerusalem. He studied the Jewish law under the direction of Gamaliel, 
who was the most celebrated doctor of the law of his nation in that day. Listen, again, no mistake. When this man got saved, this man knew more about the scriptures than most people that have been saved for many, many years. Because, listen, he knew the law inside and out. And, and I'll tell you what, it would have been hard to argue with Paul because he knew the scriptures. Now, again, when we know the scriptures, when we put the scriptures to memory, we don't do that so we can argue with people. But you have to understand, the Bible says that we ought to be able to give, a, give people an answer of the hope that lies within us. If we don't know the word of God, how can we help people? Paul certainly knew the scriptures, and as you study it, 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 again, it goes back to the fact that Paul sat under one of the most educated men known by the name of Gamaliel. Uh, when you look at Paul, I love his demeanor. Paul considered himself, as you study the scriptures, a sinner and a saint. Uh, you know, listen, Paul never got away from his salvation. He never forgot who he was before he got saved. By the way, you and I shouldn't either. We're saved by the grace of God. Notice he writes to Timothy, and he says, This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And notice he says here, of whom I am chief. Paul was saying, if, if there was a line, he says, I'd be in the front of the line. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. But notice how else he thinks of himself. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 9. He says, for I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Hey, listen, again, that just shows me that Paul, he constantly thought about what God had done in his life and how God was using him. When and where was the book written? About 57 AD, still in the first century, and this was probably towards the end of Paul's third missionary journey right before Paul left Corinth, and the reason he left was to take an offering to the saints. That's recorded in the Bible, the saints of Jerusalem. The key chapter, uh, again, some people vary on this. I particularly think maybe chapter 3, where we see that the Bible mentions that all are under sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The key verses, first uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, and I love these verses. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation. Notice, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, because the oracles were committed first to them, and also to the Greek, for therein, or in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And in that same chapter, it says to us, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Actually, that's chapter number 10. Uh, sorry about that. But listen, very important that we understand that the just shall live by faith. Now, some key words, you can't narrow it down to just one. When you go through these books of the Bible, there are so many words that are used over and over again. But notice the word law is used 78 times. Now, remember, Paul's trying to help Jewish believers that's why you see the, the use of the word law so many times. The word righteousness is used 66 times, talking about the righteousness of God. The word faith is used 62 times. How about this one, the word sin? You're going to have people get saved. Understand, you, pe people have to be lost before they can be saved. They have to understand they're a sinner before they can be saved. 
And so that's used 60 times. Some other words that are used, the phrase in Christ is used quite a bit. The word death, the word justification, the word flesh, and then this word impute, uh, to place on one's account. All those words are used uh, many, many times, but those four are used probably the most in the book of Romans. The key phrase is the righteousness of God. We mentioned this earlier, verse 17, therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The key thought, justification by faith, here's the key, without the deeds of the law. You cannot be saved by anything you do. You, listen, you do understand, and I, I'm talking even those listening to us tonight by way of live stream. If there was something that we could do, in other words, we could add something to what Jesus already did, then Jesus' death on the cross would have been null and void. It wouldn't, have, it, wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been worth anything. Our faith would be vain. But see, the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus paid it all, that there is nothing that needs to be added to what God has already done for us. And so justification is by faith. Romans 3.28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. The spiritual thought, here's a great one, that we can only come to God clothed in his righteousness. We can't come to God who is holy as, listen, as, as a dirty, rotten sinner. Now listen, we understand that when salvation happens, that again, we have been justified by God. But notice what Romans 4 or 5 says. But to him that worketh not, notice, worketh not, we're not doing something, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And that's a great, great chapter there, Romans chapter number four. Now, how is Christ seen in the book of Romans? He is seen as the Lord, our righteousness. Uh, look at Romans 10, four. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. If you go back to the old uh, prophet Jeremiah, notice what Jeremiah wrote in chapter 23. In his days, Judah shall be saved, Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name whereby he shall be called. Notice, if you look in your Bible, these are all capital letters. The Lord, our righteousness. That's why when we see the book of Romans, that we understand that if we're going to come to God, it is in his righteousness. He is the Lord, our righteousness. Now, when, when we close tonight, here's a couple things I just want to share with you. In the days of, of the Apostle Paul, and we talked in the introduction tonight about Rome as a city, not only did all roads lead to Rome, but actually all roads actually led away from Rome as well. So people were coming into the city, people were leaving. So what that means is that a person, and Paul understood this, that a person could literally reach the world from Rome. And that's why Paul was constantly, he was writing to them. He, Paul, his, look, his heart was, he wanted to go to them, but he was Many times he was providentially hindered by God to go to the city of Rome. And so, listen, Paul understood the significance of reaching the world in his day, going, going in and out of Rome. Now, the closing benediction, and this would be chapter 16. And if you have your Bible there, look at these verses. I don't know if I gave them to the guys. Did I give these to you? Maybe didn't. I don't know if I did or not. 
Romans chapter number 16. I want you to look here at how this book ends. Romans chapter 16, beginning in verse number 25. Look what the Bible says. Now to him that is of power to establish you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. Notice there, he says, the mystery that was kept secret. Verse 26, but now that mystery is made manifest. The word manifest means to to be revealed, to be exposed, to show up. He says, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, it was made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Now, when you look here at what I gave you, this closing benediction actually speaks of the mystery of God's program of uniting believers in this present day that we're living in. What did Jesus do when he came? He was born of a virgin. He lived among men. And he said these words. He says, I will build my what? my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So here we are, watch this. We are living in the year 2020. We are currently living in the New Testament era. We are living in a time where God, listen, has established the church. See, the Old Testament, God's desire was to work through the nation of Israel. When you get to the New Testament, because of the unbelief of the Jews, Jesus came, he established the church, and the mystery that he talks about here is the church. It is that he established a church, his church, and it is through the vehicle of the church. Listen, that's why you and I need to understand that we have a commission uh, to go out into all the world with the gospel, that we need to preach the gospel to every creature. And that's, that's what we see here, that that when you look at God's program, what does God want us to do? God wants us to see everyone, Jews and Gentiles, to be saved, and watch this, to unite them together into one body. So when you think of the church today, what is the church comprised of? Jews and Gentiles. See, we are all one body in Christ. And it's very important we understand that. Now, by the way, when you think of that, that statement right there of Jews and Gentiles being united, that is the very message why the Judaizers were persecuting Paul. Because they hated the thought that the Gentiles could be included and they had, they had equal uh, rights and privileges that they did as believers in Christ. So when you study the book of Romans, you should, it should help us as believers to be more stable in the faith, be more excited to share Christ with other people. And listen, as we know our doctrine and we live it out, and the result of that, look at verse number 27, the very last verse, to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. In other words, as we live out what we believe, and we see people saved, guess what's going to happen? God's going to get all the glory. And the book of Romans, boy, what a tremendous study. That's a quick overview of the book of Romans. I hope that you take that and just digest that. Think about it. Go back through it if you need to. You can watch uh, tonight's service again if you'd like to. Now, next week, we're going to get into the book of 1 Corinthians. There are 16 chapters, just like the book of Romans. And so I'm going to challenge you, read two to three chapters 
I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I hope you did. I finished, I'm just going to tell you, I just finished my last two chapters right before I walked in here tonight of the book of Romans. But I got all 16 read, and I'm going to have the 16 chapters of 1 Corinthians read before next Sunday or next Wednesday. And so make sure you're doing your Bible reading, and that way you'll, you'll be familiar with what we're doing. And I'm looking forward to that. And so hopefully you remember that we have Sunday school at 930 if you're a couple Join us on Friday night. We hope that you, you'll be a part of that. Let's pray for one another. Continue to hold one another up in prayer. And so let's be dismissed tonight with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you again for the precious word of God. I pray that you bless and use it in our lives. Thank you for this tremendous book, the book of Romans. I know we've gone through it rather quickly tonight. I pray that, Lord, that your Holy Spirit gave us understanding and that we would continue to study it, to understand it in a greater way. We love you. Thank you for working in uh, many of our loved ones' lives, and we pray for those that still need you to touch them, to be with them, to open doors. And we thank you again in Christ's name we pray. Amen.